Hello, hello everyone, and welcome back to Murder Squared. I'm your host, Michaela, and if you found my voice today, you have found yourself on a true crime podcast, so welcome. Here we talk about the solved, the unsolved, the missing, the murdered, and pretty much anything and everything in between. I hope whenever this episode finds you, it finds you well. I hope that your coffee is so much stronger than mine. Um, My kids have had a stomach flu, stomach bug, something for the past uh, like four days now. And I am so tired. My son is up every hour and a half. Um, He's out of school. It's, oh, it's been a lot. We've not left the house in about five days now, and (laughs) it is very, very trying, I will say that, so just keep that in mind as you're listening to this. Also, um, this is being recorded at like 11 o'clock at night, which is unusual. I normally record around lunchtime, and um, yeah, so I might be dragging a little bit, so bear with me. But um, I didn't want to leave you guys without an episode this week. I know I just got back from a break and I didn't want to do that. And I'm still playing catch up and trying to um, record some extra episodes and get things going. So this um, episode is actually going to be very different from anything that I've done before. Um, Today we're going to be talking about domestic abuse and domestic violence. It is something that... Um, needs to be talked about more and there are so many true crime cases I'm sure you guys can think of some off the top of your head that a victim did not make it out of a domestic situation where their spouse was their abuser and we're going to look at two stories today this is actually two testimonials from two women who have made it out of com- two completely different situations and I think that this is just so important to talk about, especially with things going on in the media right now. Um, There's a lot going on with the, we've talked about it before with the Gabby Petito case and domestic abuse, even just between her being a young lady and I think Brian Laundrie's like 23. I mean, even as young as that and then being together and being isolated, there was still incidences where violence would come up and whether it was physical or mental abuse there were still things going on there um I'm not sure if you guys follow other stories but even Johnny Depp is a victim of domestic abuse Amber Heard is absolutely crazy I hope no one ever watches another movie that she is in and I'm so glad that Johnny has supporters that actually believed him because It's not often that a man is believed when he says that he has been a victim of assault or abuse. His story is one that is absolutely crazy that she got away with so much. I'm not exactly going to go into a lot of detail here, but um, yeah, so I was looking up some statistics for today's episode, and I found that here in America, one in three women become a victim to domestic abuse and out of the one in three um 50 of the time it is from a spouse or sexual partner 
another statistic that surprised me more than that was men are victims of domestic abuse one in four times. So that is absolutely insane. More people that you would ever even think of are going through or have went through some form of domestic abuse. And it's really important, I think, that we need to train ourselves to be allies for victims of abuse. And I'm going to go into a little bit more of that after one of our stories today because she talks about how it would have been easier for her to get out of her situation if the professionals like health professionals and even police officers would have been less judgmental of her situation and more understanding. She would have felt like she had more of a way out. Um, You know, that's something that we really need to think about is how to train ourselves to be allies to other people. It gets so easy to get wrapped up in yourself. It gets so easy to get wrapped up in your family. And it gets even easy when you're in your own family to think that, oh, he would never do that to her. Or, oh, she would never lay a hand on him. Or vice versa. Anything like that. It's very easy to get into a mindset of everything skittles and rainbows. And unfortunately, we know it's not. So, I'm going to go ahead and hop into our first story today. And like I said, as I'm reading these, I just want you to keep an open mind. I know that, like I said, this is not your typical true crime cases like I would cover, but this is something that really jumped out to me this week. And with the pandemic and with how many people had to stay at home and were forced to stay at home with their abusers and um, children included with their parents that are their abusers. I mean, these numbers have skyrocketed over the past year, and it's something that we have to be more aware of and we have to be willing to help with. So we're going to go ahead and jump into our first story here. I was 20 years old and I was pregnant by my pimp and the further I got along in my pregnancy, the less I was able to work as a sex worker and the more violent that he became. At around seven months pregnant, he beat me so severely that I was taken to the hospital. It was clear that I had experienced violence of some kind. My teeth had been kicked in my face. My face was bruised and bloody. Despite my visible injuries, I wasn't sure what to say to the hospital staff when they asked me if I needed help. Now, I knew the consequences of outing my pimp for what he was, and I was scared of what would happen if I told them the truth. So instead, I dropped my head and avoided eye contact and told them that I was fine and that I didn't need any more help. Well, the nurse that I had spoken to returned and she gave me information on domestic violence and on shelters and had given me a card with the number of a national human trafficking hotline on it. So shortly after I was out of the hospital, I called the hotline and I told them my story. The advocate I spoke to helped me think about how to keep both myself and my baby safe. She supported me in coming up with a plan to leave my pimp whenever I was ready. She also gave me a list of direct service providers to call if I needed shelter or any other services. I did not leave right away. After my son was born, I was forced to go back into selling sex. 
This was the turning point for me. I knew that if I didn't leave now, I would not be able to keep my son safe. My life meant nothing to me, but his life meant everything to me. Nothing was more important than protecting him. Terrified and brave, I called the numbers on the hotline that they had given me at the hospital. Because of the hotline, I had already thought through my plan for escaping, and I had already had somewhere to turn to and to go, and I was ready to leave. I am forever grateful to the hotline for this. I want other survivors who may be considering leaving but are not sure of where to go or who to turn to or who even might be afraid to know what this hotline is for. Making that first call is scary, but nothing changes if you don't change something for yourself. I was scared when I made that first call, but gratitude is an understatement for my feelings towards the National Human Trafficking Hotline. The hotline didn't just help me with what I needed. I truly believe that if it wasn't for this hotline helping me when they did, my son and I would not be alive today. And that is signed by a survivor named Ursula. So her situation is one that I feel like we think is more rare than it actually is. Um, You know, you can sit in suburbia and think, oh, well, that would never happen to me because, you know, I'm not in sex work. But even the way that she labels that, selling sex, and my pimp enforced me into sex work, I mean, you can obviously tell that that was not the path that she had chosen. So, at the very end of this episode, I am going to include the hotline for human trafficking. And it is so important that we take steps as just civilians even, to know who to call and what the signs are for in human trafficking and domestic violence. Um, I worked at a hotel for three years, and we had to take a course. Um, It was like a little seminar class about human trafficking because the city that I lived in is a hotbed for human trafficking. It's one of the biggest cities in the South, for human trafficking and when the lady was up at the front just telling these stories of how these girls got out of these situations I mean it was by the grace of God that most of them got out um one that she told and many of you might be um, familiar with was about a girl on a plane and the flight attendant just noticed that she was kind of younger, she looked very weak, and she was with a man that was very controlling, wouldn't let her speak for herself. She barely was even allowed to make eye contact with the flight attendant, and the flight attendant was able to pass a note through the bathroom to see if this girl needed help, and she did, and she was able to have reinforcements and the police waiting for them when the plane landed and that little girl was saved because of that um I say little girl I I really don't remember how old she was I know that she was not over 21 I know that but um It was all these signs that we had to even look through as working at a hotel. If someone asked for a room that overlooked the parking garage, that was a sign. If they asked for multiple keys, like more than three, that was a sign. If there was a lot of activity in the room during um, the day, 
actually, during the day, and if the room wasn't allowed to be cleaned, then um, that was another sign. And there was all of these things that we wanted our housekeepers to look for. And I remember that there was an incident at another hotel that was in the same franchise as ours, where they actually ended up catching a sex trafficking ring because of a housekeeper. She had went into a room and it was an older man. This man came into the hotel all the time. Actually, at the time, two of the women I worked with talked to him. He would come in with his quote-unquote niece to visit his mother who was staying at a senior living facility near the hotel. So he would even make up stories about how his mom was doing. They were always so nice to him because they knew from the stories that he would tell anyways that his mom wasn't doing very good and he, like I said his niece would come with him. Well one day I guess they didn't put the do not disturb sign on the door and a room attendant had went in to clean and she noticed that there was a lot of pleasure toys. I don't know how else to say that. And she knew that the girl that was traveling with him would not have been old enough to use these consensually. So they were able to take down this sex trafficking ring. And I don't remember how many members were in it exactly. But um, they were able to take this down because a housekeeper came forward and they told them, they were like, "Um, something's not right here. And even when that housekeeper came forward, I remember the ladies that I knew were saying that that housekeeper didn't want to say anything about finding anything in the room because they just felt like, oh, well, you know, it's not my business. I'm not really sure. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. You know, that's awkward. But ended up saving a a woman's life, getting her out of this life that she was forced into. Like I said, I just think it's very important that we know signs and things to look for and we try to look for them and not look the other way. So the next story that I have is more towards the side of domestic violence by a spouse. And this story is just a little bit longer. Her testimony is, so just bear with me as I read it through it. I was 19 years old when I met him. He was 38 and he was married. I was a teenager with an unsettled home life and when I met him, I had a very uneasy relationship with my mom and my siblings. I felt afraid of my stepfather and I didn't feel safe in my own home and I felt like he rescued me. At first, I didn't recognize that I was being controlled, but now I can see it happened very quickly. He isolated me from my friends and my family very early in the relationship. Soon. He was the only person I saw. He was well known to the police for serious criminal activities including violence and weapons. I knew that he had access to a lot of money and that he would pay people to use violence against others. When we lived together, I wasn't allowed to have a phone, access to a computer, or even watch TV. I remember being so shocked in 2012 when I found out that Michael Jackson had died in 2009. I had no idea who the prime minister currently was. He was obsessed with the belief that I was an undercover police officer. He began to monitor my every move and had cameras and recording equipment inside and outside of the house. He would often believe that I was monitoring his moves and even believing that I may have recording devices implanted in my body, which he attempted to find and remove. 
if I left the house, he always came with me wherever I went. He would pull out my hair or even shave my head regularly to ensure that I was not quote-unquote attractive to other men. He began to involve me in his criminal activities, threatening or even using violence to make me comply. Once he had implicated me, he used this as a tool to control me, threatening to take me down with him if I ever tried to leave or involve the police. He was supplying me with alcohol and drugs. He also used drugs and his behavior was erratic and very unpredictable. He often threatened to kill me and he said that he would kill himself. He owned a crossbow and he would use it on the countryside near our house to kill animals. He did this in the sight of our neighbors. He held this crossbow to my head on several occasions, sometimes for hours at a time. Violence became a daily occurrence. He used a taser to control and incapacitate me. This became the norm. I couldn't even report most of the assaults and I rarely received any medical attention. Later, the doctors would find that I had many untreated fractures. The more paranoid he became, the less I was able to call for help. My self-esteem had officially hit rock bottom. I found it increasingly hard to look after myself in terms of even eating and washing myself. I even developed a stutter and in one assault, I lost some of my teeth. I had little hair left and I didn't want or I didn't even feel like I was able to leave the house. Medical professionals later recognized this and said that I had severe Stockholm Syndrome and PTSD. I was in a constant state of panic and at times I felt like the only way out was to take my own life. I attempted suicide several times during and soon after the end of the relationship. I felt like I was being judged by professionals for staying in the relationship and for using the drug and alcohol. You feel bad enough about yourself without others judging you too. I needed help and support, but I was not able to trust those who judged me and I felt worthless. I had to do what he demanded of me in order to stay alive, but to those who judged me, I was choosing to stay. I was choosing to take the substances and I was choosing to do what he asked of me but no one saw me. They saw someone who was making bad choices and decisions. I was trapped and spent every day doing what I needed to do to survive. One police officer changed my life. He could clearly see that I was the victim of domestic abuse and obviously understood what that meant. He once said to me at the police station quietly, you don't have to live like this. And he reminded me that I had a life before this relationship. He treated me as an equal and wasn't pushy. He was very respectful towards me. And when I finally did feel like I was ready to leave it all, it was him that I got in contact with. He also followed through and arranged a refuge for me to go to. I would never have approached any other officer as I didn't have much confidence due to bad experiences. This officer was non-judgmental, open, and kind. I felt like I could approach him for help without being looked down on or judged or even risk making the violence at home worse. There was no one else, no one at the time that I could trust. I was completely isolated. This was just the beginning of my journey out of abuse. It was a difficult road and I didn't always get the right support that I needed. At times I felt let down by those who were there to help me. However, 
I can look back now and see that this police officer, the first person I did not feel judged by, the person that I felt like I could trust, helped save my life. I also received support from IDVA, and that was life-changing and has helped me to the point of where I am today. She reached out to me, and she didn't give up on me when I was not able to engage. She engaged me. She empowered me. She cared. She didn't judge me. She got it, and she was warm. She made me feel safe, and she made me feel believed and like I was value and that I had value. With this support, I am proud to say that I grew stronger and learned to trust others. I engaged with more support, I volunteered, and I was good at it. I now have a job where I am volunteering and I'm loving it. I'm helping empower women. I am passionate about my work and I feel excited for the future. I am happy and I am stronger. If I were to pick two things that can be learned from my experience, number one would be attitude. If professionals have the right attitude towards those living in domestic abuse, if they truly understand what it is like for the victims living with the abuse to live in fear, to be controlled, to feel worthless and trapped, and to show that in their face, in their language, and in their response that they understand they would have greater success in engaging with victims and in supporting them to help save their lives. Number two would be to focus more on managing the behavior of the perpetrator. I can see now that it was only when I had space from my perpetrator that I felt safe and felt like I was able to take action. I felt all the responsibility was put on me to leave, to comply with the police, to secure an arrest and a prosecution. If he had been held accountable for his behavior, if he didn't believe that he could get away with it, I may have believed it and got help sooner. I think that these are two obvious and very simple but vital things that we can each do to save real lives and make a real difference. If you ask me to describe myself now, I don't like to say I'm a survivor, as I feel there are three stages, victim, survivor, and me. I was a victim, I was a survivor, and I've moved forward and now I am just me. That is an incredible and empowering story. Um, her name is kept anonymous. That way, so her identity can be preserved. But that's just one of the things that I was saying um, in the beginning about medical professionals, police officers, um, even any kind of DCS worker. Being compassionate is part of the job. And it's a hard part of the job because, like I said, you're at work. It's a hard day at work. There are so many things that these people do in their day-to-day -day jobs, dealing with people with addiction, um, medical professionals, trying to de decipher even if this is the situation that they need to get in front of, if this is a domestic assault situation. This is something that they have to be on the lookout for and they have to be trained for. And when you work long hours like people in those jobs do, it I'm sure can be hard to find your compassionate side for people and to say, well, you're a grown woman. You could just leave. Because I remember thinking when I was in my early teens, um, there was a woman that we knew that her husband did beat her 
and I remember my parents talking about it and she was able to get away from this man and everything I'm not going to go into detail about it but I remember thinking when they were talking about that why couldn't she just leave if you don't like how you're being treated like why can't you just leave and having such a naive ignorant mind to not know all of the things that go on in an adult relationship and in a relationship where you were being controlled and manipulative because I can honestly say I I've never been a victim of domestic anything I had wonderful parents I have a very loving husband and um I cannot say that I have personally been put in a situation like this And I pray to God I never have to. I pray that my daughter never has to. But it's just something that I want to be an ally for and something that I want to help educate people on. I have this platform of this podcast. There are quite a few listeners out there and I want to give you all some numbers. If you're sitting here listening to this and you're experiencing Anything that I've talked about today as far as manipulation, control, um, there's just so much more to dive into of things that people don't even realize may not be a normal thing in other people's relationship. You might think, you know, there's so many things that go into domestic assault and abuse and trafficking and everything that people don't even realize is part of it. And it's what these perpetrators don't want the normal person to know is how to spot it, where to report it, and how to get out of it. So I'm going to go ahead and leave you with a couple of um, phone numbers today. The National Domestic Violence Hotline is a 24-hour confidential service for survivors, victims, and those affected by domestic violence, intimate partner violence, and relationship abuse. Advocates are available at 1-800-799-SAFE. If you are unable to make a call and you want to chat online, you can go to www.thehotline.org. All calls are free and all messages are confidential. Um, I want to thank you guys for coming along with me today for this. If you found the information provided today interesting, please hit that follow or subscribe button. Um, Always leave a rating or review and always keep an eye on your friends and family and the people in your lives, guys. Let's help keep our friends safe. So, as always, stay square, and I'll see you next murder. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, 
I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.